What's up, everybody? This is Tony Powell, and welcome to Powell the People, the podcast. Uh, as many of you know, our show is kind of modeled after the conversations you'd have in a barbershop. Uh, any conversation you have, whether it be sports or politics or pop culture, anything you've ever heard, we try to have that live and in person. Uh, and today, I think it's kind of interesting because this is kind of a conversation you wouldn't ordinarily have in a barbershop just because people are, you know, want to talk about it out loud. Uh, you know, sort of like where you buried your ex-wife. That's not a conversation you have at a barbershop. It's just something you wouldn't do. Uh, but today we're going to have one of those conversations, not about where you buried your ex-wife, but about something you wouldn't ordinarily talk about. Today I have a special guest. His name is Roger Marsh. He's the UFO writer and content developer. He's the director of communications for the Mutual UFO Network, also known as MUFON. Uh, Roger is the MUFON case researcher for History Channel's Hangar One, the UFO Files, and he's the author of a new book entitled UFO Cases of Interest, the 2018 edition, and it's available on Amazon.com, and they use it as the fundraiser for uh, keeping track of what's going on out there in space. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Roger, how are you? Hey, Tony. Uh, real glad to be here. I'm glad you're glad to be here. Uh, you know, uh, again, I said these are conversations that you don't necessarily have out loud because, uh, I mean, even though, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a fan. I watch Hangar One uh, fairly regularly. Uh, I love the show. Uh, and I've, oh, been, I've been fascinated by the phenomenon for the longest time, and I like to get people on it that, that talk about the things that I'm interested in. Uh, and as we were kind of talking, yeah, yeah, you you would actually be surprised that people are much more open about it lately, the last few years. So people people are probably talking about it in their barber shop. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, that's that's good to hear. You know, because for the longest time, uh, you know, it, it just seemed like it's it, it's it's you know, there's, there's there's two kinds of people, well, three kinds. There's there's the there's the Bigfoot kind, there's the Loch Ness kind, and then there's the UFO kind, and and so. People often give those folks the side eye when they start talking about their experiences. Uh, but you got interested in, in the phenomenon how? Well, yeah, basically, I was growing up in southwestern Pennsylvania, and my parents had been an experiencer. Um, uh, they actually had a, a very close encounter in 1953, you know, before I was born. So I kind of was born into a household where. My father, um, who was uh, he, he was buying every book and magazine uh, on the market, very successful guy, and he really couldn't talk about it, as you said, like in his barber shop or, right. or anywhere. It was kept, you know, very, very, very low key. Um, then, when I was sixteen in the fall of 1973, um, what what I really didn't understand at the time was that. Uh, southwestern Pennsylvania was like the focal point or ground zero for a huge wave of UFO activity, um, which I know Ohio was experiencing it as well. Um, but I was out in my neighborhood, uh, Greensburg, Pennsylvania, and it was just after dark, like on a Friday night uh, in October, and there was probably about 10 or 12 of us, like kids, you know, ranging in age from probably, you know, 10 to 17, 16. I was 16 at the time. Like a and summer night, summer, summer out of yeah, school? Yeah, just night? a summer night, suburban neighborhood. The moms and dads are still out, you know, maybe raking leaves or something, and just a very calm, you know, night. The sky was dark. And one of my friends pointed down the street and said, what's that? And as you look down the street, um, a telephone pole in Pennsylvania is 40 feet and this thing was the width of that two-lane street, and it was coming right at us, right over the, the telephone pole. So you're, you're talking about maybe 41 feet up in the air. It was a disc shape, um, the width of a two-lane road, maybe about 10 feet tall, and the entire bottom of it was lit up the same color as the moon, and it was just meandering toward us at about maybe five miles per hour, was very slow because you looked at the size of it, and the first thing you wondered is how is it staying up in the air? Right. And it's it's completely silent too, and it just I, I swear I tell people if I had had a camera in my hand, I think I would have just dropped it. Every everybody just stood in, in in place, and it went directly over top of me, and you just heard that like displacement of air, like a swishing sound as it moved over. 
and then it was following like the lay of the land, the rolling hills of Pennsylvania, and it just sort of went down over uh, a wooded area uh, and went over with with uh, Route 30. Okay. And it's just uh, amazing. So you're only looking at it for a short period of time. Um, but a lot of people, I mean, dozens and dozens and dozens of people in a neighborhood with maybe 300 homes, um, a lot of people saw it. So people were out in their cars driving around, and word got out in the neighborhood, let's all meet at this spot, you know, in the neighborhood. So a lot of us, maybe 50, 60 people were on a neighbor's, you know, front lawn. And within about 30 minutes, um, the object came back at like a, uh, it was further away, but it was probably only about maybe at that time now, maybe 500 feet off the ground. And it was doing these weird maneuvers, it, like, it, like it stopped and then dropped to the ground level, shot back up. Um, it, it was almost as if we thought it was, it was doing these maneuvers for us to look at. And then within seconds, um, two military jets in formation came right into that same airspace. And as they entered, the object did the what we call in ufology the bat-out-of-hell maneuver, just from standing in place, it's gone off in the distance in a split second. So, so the military came in and kind of circled the area, and then they went off in the same direction as the UFO. So that suggests that the military, whatever, whatever ground control or whatever radar stations obviously picked it up. Exactly. But, but a couple minutes later, two light airplanes came in, did the same maneuvering, and then 30 minutes later, the object reappeared in the same spot, did the same maneuvering, shot away, and then the same two military jets came back, the same two light airplanes came back, and it just all unfolded. So this all happened over the course of about maybe an hour and a half. So this, is a, this, is a, this is a mass sighting, essentially, is what you're saying, because you're talking about 50, 60 people that are witnessing this, oh, oh, and exactly. more than that who come after the, after the initial sighting and then the second sighting. So you're talking about at least, you know, a, a hundred, couple hundred people. Yeah, exactly. And, and what I've learned, because I'm 61 years old today, and I do this full time now, because um, I love to tell people that y you think the military doesn't talk about UFOs, but every week we have people from the U.S. military, generally retired. Some are actually active members, but generally it's somebody retired saying, hey, I, I want to get this off my chest before I die because I signed paperwork, you know, saying that I'll never talk about this, but it's time. You know, I have to talk about my experience. So we, we have people from just every walk of the military I mean, people, Vietnam veterans, you know, talked about UFOs, you know, during that war. Um, we Actually world... seeing, seeing, the war, seeing, seeing uh, having sightings in Vietnam? Yeah, yes, exactly. I mean, people during World War II, same thing. Well, I, I've read that or, or, and, and, a, and a few different, you know, uh, just, just, as I said, becoming, uh, I won't say obsessive. My wife thinks I'm obsessive, but uh, just yeah. becoming, a, <laughs> I don't know if the word is, it, fan is the word, but just uh, paying attention. I, I've noticed that in, in conflict zones or areas of conflict, it seems they seem there seems to be a lot a lot of sightings. Yeah, it, it's really all over. And I, I always say that if you look at the states that seem to have more UFO activity, that's really a false statement because you look at how many people in this country know about MUFON, know that we're a twenty four seven. Um, agency for the people right right there. We're at MUFON.com. If you see a UFO, you know, just log on at, at MUFON.com. I would encourage people to go on to MUFON.com because I went on, and uh, this is the thing that freaked me out. I have an app on my uh, on my phone for earthquakes, and the reason I got it was I was in California <laughs> a couple of years ago, <laughs> and uh, I just wanted to know. Uh, so the, the the app always alerts you to an earthquake anywhere around the world. And, you know, oh, I said, wow, oh, look at that. There was, there was one in Borneo two seconds ago. It's a point, you know, whatever it is on the Richter scale. Yeah, yeah. And I went on your site, and you guys actually have, literally, to the, to the minute, you know, UFO sightings that are, that are popping up as we speak uh, from somewhere in the country or somewhere around the world. And I, and I was like, wow, you know, and, it, and you kind of, it's almost mind-boggling because you can't, you can't even uh, um, process that, they're, that it's that, you know, uh, prevalent. 
Yeah, but now one thing to keep in mind: we get anywhere from five hundred to a thousand, or five to eight hundred, let's say, sightings, uh, and that's worldwide. But probably ninety to ninety-five percent of our sightings are U.S. based because we're we're known more in, in this country than in others. But we are in, I think, it's forty-three countries around the world right now. Um, but but of those five to eight hundred cases that come in every month. Um, we have a, an investigator staff, you know, again, mainly domestic, but they have 90 days to follow up on those cases. So if you look at the cases, if you start ruling out the knowns, okay, right. um, it was a Chinese lantern, it was, you know, it was Venus, you know, in, in the early sky, um, it was a hoax, uh, take all that out and just look at the cases where we could not identify it that these were definitely unknown objects. Now, now you're getting down to maybe, you know, 30 to 50 cases a month. But just still, that's one a day. That's, more, yeah. that's one, one or more a day. Um, is that, that's, the, that's the gist of, 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 of this book that you have out now. Again, it's no, no, exactly, because I took those cases, Tony, with my little staff in communications at MUFON, and we read every case. And we, we came up with 241 cases from 2017 that we're simply calling, you know, cases for further study. And for each case, I'm giving the public um, about a 450-word overview, you know, so you get a headline overview, and that includes notes from the investigator. And, and we laid it out in a January to December format, um, but then at the back of the book, there's a four-part index that's very exciting. So if you're an armchair UFO enthusiast, you could just simply look up in the first index, which is location, your town, county, state, country, and just see the listing and look, look them up. Look at the UFO cases that were closest to you. But going beyond that, for example, you could go to the witness index and just look at maybe some of the more interesting witnesses that we actually had people from the military we had pilots um you know we, we had engineers who were were reporting um when you get or or police officers it's it just it's just right. fascinating. credible 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 witnesses not some exactly. some yokel not that you and, and i are credible witnesses but when it's a police officer people yeah, you know, I mean, people pay more attention or someone from the military or a pilot and uh, a commercial pilot or a military pilot uh, exactly which, again we're talking to 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 Roger Marsh and his book is called UFO Cases of Interest uh the 2018 edition it's available on amazon.com and uh, they use that money to keep track of what's going on out there the truth is out there uh, as we were so, uh, we talked, you know, briefly before uh, before we began uh, this podcast, uh, I had an experience, and 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 I, maybe that's why I've been so fascinated. Because as I said, I mean, I I was telling my producer Tim that I uh, I've only told a half dozen people about this, and and I think the half dozen were the half dozen that I met who were probably exposed to something similar. Uh, I am. I was. Uh, let's see. It's nineteen seventy-eight. I don't even know. It was like fourteen, fifteen, uh, and I was in prep school uh, at a prominent prep school in uh, New England, a place called Choate Rosemary Hall. And uh, a friend of mine, same thing. Uh, late at night, uh, we went to have dinner at the at the girls' dining hall, and we're on our way back to the dorms for curfew. Uh, the sun had just set on a uh, on a beautiful spring night. Clear as a bell, you could see, and we were on top of a hill, so you get had almost a. Uh, but for the trees, uh, there was a soccer field next to us where there was like a three hundred and sixty degree view of the sky, uh, and we walk out, and we walk maybe I don't know fifty, sixty yards from the dining hall, and we look down the hill and across another football field, athletic field, and above uh, one of the athletic buildings, uh, the field house, uh, we see this object. Uh, it looked like at first I thought it was some. I thought somebody had shot a flare. It was just a bright. Uh, amorphous light, you know, looking like, almost like a, you know, like a, like a flare, like a sun. It was just, it was just so bright, sure. no shape. Uh, and I was like, what is that? And we were both standing there, and, and the same thing. You just, you know, you're not scared. You're just like, wow, that's really odd. And uh, we're watching it, and uh, you know, we noticed that there's there's colors radiating, but not necessarily almost like a, I, I can't even describe. It wasn't even like a, you know, like a singular colors. It was just. You have the 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 feeling of different colors in this light, um, and then uh, 
we noticed that it started to change uh, shape. And I always use the description. I say, take your two forefingers and your thumbs and you put them together and you just press a little bit and it'll form a almost a triangle shaped or disc shaped triangle. And we noticed that it was starting to rotate because the lights were changing along the edges of this thing. And as you described, it's the same thing. It's uh, silent. It is hovering. It, uh, it was, at this point, it couldn't have been uh, more than, as you described, maybe 40, 50 feet above the ground because it was over the wow. building. Um, and we were, when we initially saw it, maybe, maybe a quarter mile from uh, the thing. Wow. And That's we were, very close. Yeah, and we were watching it, and it started to, uh, and, and at first you can't really tell because you're, you know, you're, you're standing on a hill and you're looking in the distance. Um, and you're trying, you know, you're, you're transfixed and you're trying to kind of, um, you know, uh, I guess, uh, plot it and see where it's going. Uh, but it's, it's, it's not even, it's not flying. It's not, not helicopter hovering. There is no noise. It is dead silent. Um, and it's moving slowly. It's inching. As you said, there's no way on earth that this thing should be able to stay in the air, but it is. Right. And, uh, we noticed that it was coming. Uh, slowly, it, it, you know, drifted to one side and then started coming up the pathway where we were. We could see it again. It was not a quarter mile. Maybe now it's, 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 uh, slightly less than that. Uh, and that's when we got freaked out and we kind of, it was coming directly at us. Uh, mm. and we started running back towards, uh, the building we just left. Uh, we ran inside to grab the, the janitor who was cleaning up. Uh, and we dragged him outside, freaked out, and we we drag him outside, and we go on on the soccer field. And again, as I said, if you could imagine going to the planetarium where you can kind of lay on your back and look at the sky and this 360 degree view, uh, there was nothing. We could see nothing. It was gone. It was silent. It was gone, and that was that. Wow. But I did see it. I saw it. But and you, and I think I was reading in, in in some of your notes that it was certainly under 500 feet uh, from in, in the sky. It was I. It was certainly less than 100 feet. Uh, and we were within a quarter mile of seeing this thing. And it, wow! And yeah, that's a that's a classic sighting, Tony. And if you if you haven't done so, you you should file that with Mufon as a historical case. Yeah, I, you know, I actually, I actually <laughs> I, I don't want I don't want get anybody in trouble, but <laughs> I actually did call. Uh, I guess the I guess some uh, the, whoever does it in Connecticut and and the person I guess he researched it, but he couldn't he couldn't find it. But I do remember it was certainly the spring of 1978. I will never forget it. Wow. Uh, it's like yesterday to me, um, and uh, I was with somebody. I didn't see it by myself. I actually have a witness that was with somebody. But uh, yeah, that's uh, always good having another witness. That I, this person may not may not confess to it because uh, he was, <laughs> no, he was freaked out. He was he was freaked out afterwards. Uh, he went to the infirmary to get something to help him sleep. He was you know deeply wow. religious kid, and um, and and the sight of this thing just 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 freaked him out i mean i was a comic book nerd and i was like wow this is like this is amazing yeah and the only thing that made me run was i we had just dissected frogs that week and <laughs> I, I remember how we treated those frogs and i thought to myself you know right. what? You, you don't want to be on that end of the dissection. I don't wanna, exactly <laughs> so uh that was the only reason i ran otherwise i would have stayed to watch but this guy you know I, I was like you know do you see this and the next thing i know I, all i could hear was feet you know, and uh, right. him running up the path and like almost like the the road runner, we used like the the, the the rooster tail of dust. That's what I saw in my mind, but uh, he right. was gone. Uh, so yeah, getting back to it. So so again, you say in in the U.S. How does how does the science community treat this? I mean, I, I know you guys do the work. You take it seriously. You've seen it. But how does the science community treat all uh, treat this phenomenon? Because I think and I think you made the point earlier that uh, you know. These may be conversations you can have in a barbershop because we're reaching a tipping point where people are talking about it. As I said, I've only told six people, and you would be number seven right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah t- typically the, science, the scientists of, of our country have been very, very slow to come around um, because of the, the, basically the, the ridicule factor in the, in the past, and that they can't get funding things like this they, they just don't want to be part of it and it's it's what i call the old school mentality and i, I refer to them as tire kickers that, th- that they'll try to come up with a concept um, a mathematical model to say look you can't get there from here you know it would take at the, the fastest mode that we know of it would take hundreds of years for a vehicle you know that was manufactured on another planet to actually physically get here 
And, of course, we can't deny the number of reports coming in, and it would almost appear that they've always been here. One could even make the statement that it could be some other species we're just not aware of that that has always been here. Um, But part of the reason the science community has stayed quiet is the U.S. government has stayed quiet. And until until last December, um, the government has only gone on the record saying that the last time they studied um, UFOs ended really the same year that MUFON started, 1969. Wasn't that the Project Blue Book thing? Or was it, was yeah, that was Project Blue Book, headed by Dr. J. Allen Hynek. Um, Hynek, of course, um, once the project ended, went out on his own, and he created um, uh, his own UFO organization to then begin studying it. For my um, listeners that don't know what Project Blue Book is, can you explain what Project Blue well, Book Well, Project Blue Book was basically the military saying, hey, we need to, to study these UFO encounters to see if there's a threat against the U.S. population. So they looked at, and I don't have the numbers in front of me here, but they looked at thousands of cases and you know, interviewed, I'm sure, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of witnesses. Um, at the end of that project, um, they came up with 701 cases that they could not um, uh, verify as something either from Mother Nature or something man-made. 701 cases were a mystery, and that's how they ended. But the truth is, the U.S. government has always been studying UFOs, and we found that out last December um, when Lou Elizondo came, came forward and and I believe the New York Times, uh, Ralph Blumenthal, I believe, bro- broke that story uh, just before Christmas last year. And that Lou Elizondo uh, was an intelligence officer with the Pentagon in a, a group called the Advanced Aviation Threat Identification Program. Now, he had resigned, I think, in October, and then he joined forces with... Um, uh, Tom DeLong from the Blink-182, you know, yeah. uh, group. And Tom was creating a group called, which he has now called, To the Stars Academy. And he was basically pulling people out of the military or the White House and asking them to join him. So, And I actually had dinner with Lou just this last Friday night um, near Philadelphia. So I had a nice one-on-one um, with him, um, so he's basically um, saying that UFOs are real. We just don't understand the intelligence behind it. But th- this is a real phenomenon. Well, I, you know, I, I, just, I just think that's the arrogance of man. It's the arrogance of science. I mean, it, you know, Einstein proved pretty much all the theories that you need to have this interstellar space travel. Uh, yeah. The idea of, of bending space and time. The idea of wormholes and. And, and the like. And so just because we don't have the technology, it's sort of, it's sort of like if, if you took a, a Corvette back with you to the time of Genghis Khan right, uh, right. And, and you talk about traveling the Silk Road, well, you should be able to go much faster than, than, than Marco Polo could in your well, maybe not a Corvette because there's probably no roads. Maybe let's say let's say you have an off-road vehicle. Exactly, uh, you got a, so a little four-wheel drive right. action. So there. you could clearly you would you would have been the, the king of spices and silks. Uh, you know, just because you had that technology. Um, and so I just think it's really really arrogant. I think it's really really arrogant of science and religion to just assume that. Uh, you know, out of the billions and billions of stars that that we perceive to be out there, and we're probably underestimating that number. Uh, but, that there's yeah. only one planet that life. Uh, that was able to that intelligent life formed exactly but i think it's going to be weirder than that really? <laughs> what in the end this is talking to lou elizondo and, and and keep in mind that he was able to get from the military three high definition videos um taken from military jets that were chasing ufos um, the three that they released, um, they refer to the UFO as having the, t- uh, the shape of a tic-tac. Okay. And, you, and in these videos, which are available, it's out there, you can hear the pilots, I mean, saying, what, you know, what the hell is this? You know, and look at the man- man- maneuverability of it. So Lou is telling us um, 
that there are more and better videos coming and that there's some more information coming probably January, February of 2019 to just sit back and, you know, hold on to your bootstraps. It's, it's about to come. I have a feeling that we're going to be talking about interdimensional uh, movements, that these objects are coming from another dimension into our dimension. That's my best guess, Donnie. Okay, so you don't you don't think of it as as uh, well. They would still be extraterrestrial, but you don't think of them as the you know the so called grays and the, the the greens and the, the... exactly. They are intelligent beings. We, we we just don't know where they're coming from. Are they coming physically from another planet, or are they moving in and out? You know, between dimensions. Again, that's another thing that's that's that's. That's I, I would imagine scientifically possible. Somebody I was I, I forget what it was, which theory I saw. Maybe it was a string theory or something like that. Where 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 um, for I, I don't remember the theory. And maybe somebody will email me and tell me what it is. But I, the premise of it was uh, for every individual, any any decision you've made, yeah, uh, and another and another uh, dimension, another you has made the opposite decision. And so every so for every decision, every movement, every every. Every decision you've made that's that's altered your life or changed your life, there is another you. There's another Roger Marsh who's made the exact opposite, opposite decisions. Exactly. So, so in another dimension, there's no move on because uh, you didn't want to get down and you didn't want to join. Uh, but in this one, right. you, are, you are definitely active. Yeah, exactly. So we, we have a lot to learn that way, but, but at least it legitimizes. Like, for example, I can't wait till the military is a little bit more open because we have research in MUFON. We, we have hundreds of cases where these objects are under 500 feet, and the witness, you know, you, you see the object, you know, coming into your airspace, and it appears as though they're being chased by, by military. Right. And, and, of course, every time we ask the military, they say, nope, we don't know anything about that. You know, they just, they clam up. Well, I mean, there's been other cases like the. I, was, I don't. I mean, I'm I'm not as as versed as you are, but I, I know there was a big case uh, uh, at the air base in England um, where you have. Oh, the Rendlesham case. Rendlesham yes. case. Yes, yeah, from in, January 1980. Right. Yeah, Rendlesham Forest. Um, and, and, and keep in mind, let me see if I could get this guy's name here. Robert Hastings. Um, he wrote a book. I think it's in its second edition now, called UFOs and Nukes. So he's been studying all the nuclear missile bases all across the United States. And this is going back to the 1960s and coming forward. And what you'll find over time is that each of these bases, at one time or another, the same thing happened. Uh, observers at the base noticed these UFOs, these objects hovering over the base. Of course, they called the base commander um, in Many of the cases, all of the the all of our nukes were actually shut down to the point where they had to send men down into the silos to hand start each of these. So these base commanders basically retired, and then Robert Hastings got them to go on the record. It's just incredible amount of information that they've been watching. You know what we're doing. I mean, it's. Uh, quite interesting there was even a case where they were testing a nuclear missile but it wasn't loaded it was just a test and a ufos came into the area and one of them actually grabbed the missile and, and never been seen again really so shot up and and then then it was just no no record of the missile after exactly after it left the it's it's gone well, so then maybe we don't, we don't have anything to worry about with Kim Jong-un because apparently no UFOs have been flying over North Korea, so maybe those <laughs> missiles aren't really nuclear missiles. Right. So we can all sleep at night knowing that now. Uh, what is the? I mean, I know that MUFON is, 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 is sort of like an, uh, an aggregate, an, uh, an archivist of, of, of these sightings. Uh, what does the public gain from knowing or, 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 or not knowing? I mean, what, what, what is well, the advantage I, I of knowing? Well, I think to, to just for the general population... Um, just to be aware of it, like I just covered a case local to me. Um, I, for MUFON, I also, if you're a member of MUFON, and we do encourage people to, to join us. Um, uh, and how do you, okay, so, this, so to go on your site, is it's MUFON.org? 
Yeah, MoveFund.com, and you'll see, become a member. And there's different levels. But as a member, you get the the monthly MoveFund journal in the mail. It's full color, slick, full color, uh, 24 pages. I'm the editor. It it all comes out of my office, my home office every month. Um, We have have an art director in Chicago, and I get contributions, you know, from around the country. Uh, The August issue I wrote myself because I wrote about the book, but I opened it with a with a case local. Um, was a young man. Um, uh, he's 23 years old today, but this was four years ago. And he and two friends had this really close encounter, and this was very near my home. Um, but for example, that young man's parents really didn't never believed him. I mean, they they, they seriously asked him if he had been drinking. You know, alcohol. Wow. What, what's wrong with you? Um, they, they just. Well, there's a so, stigma. That's what I was saying. I mean, you know, again, there is a stigma attached to 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 having these conversations out loud. Right, and, and I, I, I've joked on radio shows in the past, and they say, "Well, what what would you what would you tell people if they saw a UFO?" And let, let me just let me pull you a stat from my book. Um, if you see a UFO. 21% of the time, there's another UFO nearby. Really? Yeah. So in those 241 cases I locked into for 2017, in 21% of the cases, they were seeing multiple UFOs. I usually joke on, on shows and say, don't go into the blue light. You, know, you, don't, <laughs> you don't want to be a Travis Walton, uh, you know, the logger, and they made right. that film about it. In fact, I just hung out with Travis this past weekend, too. Uh, great guy. And his story has stood the test of time, as they say. But but I tell people, you generally um, get get yourself to a safe place. You did the right thing back in your day when you saw that UFO and it frightened you. What did you do? You you turned and ran back toward the building you had come out of. You were looking for safety. So I always tell people, get yourself into an advantage point where maybe you can step into a building to get away from it. But definitely, if, if they're beaming something to the ground, which is typically this sort of a blue-white light, not sure what they're doing, but do not walk into that light, <laughs> I tell people. Uh, I, I mean, just it's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, you know, I, we're laughing about it, but, uh, you know, it... You really there's no there's no handbook for it. I mean, I didn't have a handbook when I you know when 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 I had my experience. There was nothing, you know. Uh, uh, growing up in Brooklyn, um, you know, if somebody starts shooting, you go the other way. And so I, I just applied the same logic to to right. what you, I saw. You did normal human logic. If right. you, it'd be the same thing if you you two had been out there in that field walking and you saw a bear. Well, they say not to run from the bears. Well, so. <laughs> I don't know. My instinct would be turn and run. And you want to run faster than the guy you're with. You that's know? it. That's, that's always the plan. Yeah. Well, he actually. Well, I was I was caught because he he left me. I ran as fast as I could that day. But uh, you know, I think he he you know, too bad they didn't have the Olympic trials that night. Yeah, but but see, you you that, then you have a whole percent of the population that are affected somehow by their sighting. Um, typically, that's loss of time or stories of abductions that they've they've actually been abducted. Um, and, and typically, you'll go down that road once you realize you had a loss of time, wow. and you just you can't explain it. Well, you we give have, you I mean you, uh, in 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 in, uh, in in your book you give a lot of these these sort of uh, you know these statistics. Maybe just give us a couple just to just for our, yeah. Let me let me get to my sheet here. Um, I, I always tell people that I get real interested in, in the UFO case as soon as it's under a thousand feet. So you could actually go to the object index and you'll see a list of any cases from 2017 where the object was under a thousand feet. But I'll tell you that if it, if the object was under 500 feet, that was about 18% of the time and under a hundred feet, 12% of the time. So it's like almost so, 1 out of 10. I mean, it, 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 yeah, that, 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 that's, that's 30%. That, that's 3 out of 10 cases where that object is at least under 500 feet, wow. you know, and, and coming down. Um, and, and interestingly, because when, when you and I were kids or maybe even in the decades just prior to that, most of the UFOs were being described as disks or spheres. 
Uh, today, the sphere is usually the number one uh, shape, which might be, in your case, what you seem to see at first. Then later, it, it looked more like a triangle because they can change shape. Um, but actually, 23% of all cases from 2017, uh, 56 cases were were triangles. Well, now, is um, that, now uh, and, and this is uh, I was asked this question. I was you know uh, speaking of uh, and we're talking again to Roger Marsh, who's the director of communications from MUFON, who has a new book out called UFO Cases of Interest. Uh, and it's uh, uh, 20, 2018. It's available on Amazon.com. Um, I, I was, was, I mean, I, I, I'm one of these people again that 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 kind of, you know, I I lean more to my scientific side, my my, sure. my scientific brain, um, and you know, I'm listening to you, and I'm listening to these numbers. I'm listening to these statistical numbers, and and you start to say, wow, okay, this phenomenon is 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 real it is it is a regular occurrence it's a regular thing um but again i'm trying to i want uh, i i know i have skeptics listening i know uh convince the skeptic are you a skeptic you're not a skeptic because you you've had an experience and you and a bunch of others have had an experience and you work with people who i imagine have had experiences but uh to the skeptical world i mean what what case that of of the ones that you've researched, of these 241, which case uh, in your mind is the one that you go, holy smokes? Well, well, we, we were asked to pick the top cases. Generally, MUFON does that once a year. Um, they're top 10. We came up with top 13 cases. I, I guess when, when the cases get better, I always say if, if it's under 500 feet, you know, it's getting very close to you. I like multiple witnesses right. in a case, um, and video or photography, which is usually always pretty poor. Okay, um, but last year we had the we had the British bus driver, for example, um, and he was on a uh, maybe a ten or fifteen minute break. He had pulled into a station and got out, and he was on his cell phone just talking to a friend. And this triangle UFO very quietly just moved overhead, and he pulled his cell phone up and videotaped it. So we've got that. Um, but and you've seen the video, and the video is is compelling. Yeah, it, it is. It 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 it, it kind of shook me up a little bit to see it. it it's not crystal clear. Um, and it's been vetted by, by by experts, by video experts, and, and oh yeah, and yeah, no, no, we our our experts have looked at it and said it's real, and, and like like you had the two brothers in Uruguay uh, last year, and they were climbing a mountain. It was like a uh, uh, a walk kind of a thing that people did, and they were in in Uruguay, and I know that one of the brothers said he was having interference on his phone. And, and you'll hear that sometimes, like the, the local case that I covered, uh, they were actually watching television, watching cable TV, and the, the uh, cable television froze to a single frame. And they're staring at the TV and nothing's happening, so they went outside to have a cigarette, which, and they realized this, this thing was just a few hundred feet away and, you know, a hundred feet in the air, you know. In, in Uruguay, they got to a spot where they, set one of their high-definition cameras on a rock and then to photograph the, the two brothers on a timer, and it caught a UFO um, kind of in the distance, you know, hovering behind them. Um, I know we had two really good cases up in Maine um, that were, the witnesses were saying pretty much the same thing, two different cases. Well, Maine seems to be a hospital. Isn't that where the, the uh, Betty and Barney, weren't they from Maine? Oh, they were New Hampshire. New Hampshire, okay. New Hampshire couple. But we also had a, um, a witness in, in Croatia um, that just out sightseeing and, and snapped a photo of this Croatian island kind of in the distance, you know, not too far away. And there's a beautiful shot High definition of a disc UFO on that one. I've got orbs in Canada. I've got a cylinder UFO over over California that was Pleasanton, California. So what, what I'm finding interesting is that you're, you're, you're describing, because uh, I, I also, you know, again, in the note, you talk about uh, the different types of UFOs. You're talking about one, the military guys are looking at Tic Tacs, and, and, and I saw what, what I imagine is a disc or triangle or 
some combination thereof, um, and you saw a large disc. So there, yes. so it, so it, is that a function of of? Uh, I'm just asking you to speculate. Um, um, as as again, it's an it's an unknown well, phenomenon. Yeah, the, well, the, the, the speculation, and actually, Lou Elizondo and I talked about this too. It almost the shape almost seems to be a function of what they're doing. Okay. So what one would think logically, if it's a cigar-shaped UFO, they're probably transporting something, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, and, and Lou did point out that as humans, we, we've built vehicles right. that will go into right. the oceans. You know, we've built our submarines. We have uh, different vehicles that go on top of the ocean. Um, then we have flying vehicles, jets and airplanes, totally you know different machinery and then again different machinery that goes into space their machines um go in space air or water and they can they can change shape too on demand for what they need it it just it's it's unbelievably odd that that they could do that they're so far advanced that it could do all of those things from the same vehicle. I, I always, I, again, I, you know, and I, I, maybe it's just me. I just feel like that just, uh, you know, if, and I use the, use the analogy again, I mean, I, you know, the, just the old Mark Twain, the Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's court type deal where yeah. somebody from the 19th century goes back into the time of Camelot and, and whatever technology he had in the 19th century seems like magic to those, oh, yeah. to yeah. those people. But, uh, you know, Fifty years from now, a hundred years from now, too. I always thought that by this time we'd be doing the Jetsons, but I guess I, I missed out on my my window. <laughs> it's uh, coming. It's, it's coming, though. <laughs> you know, but but at some point in the future, yeah, that would be a thing. I mean, you know, uh, that that would that these uh, the way we're building uh, uh, aircraft now has changed. We're talking about stealth, and we're talking about vertical takeoff and landing, and we're talking about. Uh, you know, well, yeah, I mean, I, I could tell you 100% that the U.S. government wants these objects. They want to back-engineer them. Right. I mean, well, look, look at even Bigelow Aerospace out of, you know, Las Vegas, Nevada. I mean, we, we now know that they've gotten funding from the Pentagon, you know, to be looking into these things. So it's all quite top secret right now. We don't really know what they have yet, how much they have, how much have they back-engineered. But... Um, Hopefully that's going to come out, you know, soon. And Elizondo assures me that this coming January, February, you're going to see another another wave of things being released about what we know. Are we ready? I, I would think so. Um, I mean, somebody made the statement at our you know recent symposium that UFOs don't appear outwardly to be a threat. Like like you don't wake up you know in the morning and find out that you know. San Francisco was lasered. You know, it doesn't exist anymore. Or they were at a farm in Kansas and they took over. You know, um, the only sort of net, real negative would be cases of abduction. I would say that that's kind of a big thing, trying to understand that. Um, but otherwise, they just seem to be like meandering around i mean well so, well, so was columbus up until he, he landed on hispaniola he was just sort of meandering around until he found land and then all of a sudden he didn't seem like a threat he was just lost but at some point shortly at some after point they had yeah, the right yeah then it became yeah then then the uh they became the over the land right, right. <laughs> so yeah he was lost for a second and then all of a sudden it was it went you know went horribly wrong for for the, for the native americans no exactly so yeah well we've got all that history behind us and we're we're all wondering. So we're just praying that they're more evolved than we are. I mean, emotionally and psychologically, and they don't need our resources. Exactly. At least we could get along with each other. And of course, a lot of abductees. You know, there's a lot of reports where they said they're here to help us. We hear that a lot you okay. know, from people that they they uh, maybe that's why they were studying our nuclear technology. But for example, when when the U.S. bombed Japan. You know the two nuclear bombs during World War II. I mean, right. th- there was no intervention by the um, UFOs. They didn't stop it. Uh, it. Would seem like they had the technology. They kind of sat back and watched it happen, um, which is you know terrible for humanity that we we can do things like that, you know, to another people. But you know, 
course, the U.S., we had our reasons for doing it. Right. And they said, of course, thousands and thousands of American lives were saved because we halted the war, you know, with the bomb. So, again, it, 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 it's a uh, military rhetoric or logic um, that as a people we've, we've accepted it uh, as shameful as it could also appear to be, you know, looking back in history. And you look at other peoples that have been, you know, just horrible things have been done in the past, and you wonder what they're thinking of us, you know. Right. Well, that, that was the late Stephen Hawking's uh, position about uh, yeah. about about uh, first contact uh, is that uh, we would uh, we would be victimized as as the Native Americans were uh, by first contact with the Europeans. I mean, it, just because that the, the level of tech, there's nothing we can, obviously if you're talking about abductions, there's nothing we can do to stop them. If you're talking about uh, incursions. Uh, and our military being hopelessly outmatched, you know, just chasing them and, you know, chasing bogeys in the sky that they have right. no chance of catching. They're obviously not worried about us. I mean, it, I, I guess with a few exceptions of, of uh, the Roswell crash where, where, where you know, a, 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 an, a, an UFO was alleged to have crashed in, in Roswell, New Mexico, and, and uh, debris was recovered. I don't know what would make these things crash, um, but uh, it for the most part, it just seems like the technology is so, so, so far advanced of, of what we're, of what we are. Just the idea of traveling, as we talked about earlier, you know, interstellar. Um, I mean, right. you know, when you, uh, I have a friend that, that's that's doing communications for the uh, JPL, you know, and you listen, you know, you look at the the latest and the hottest from the you know Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and they're still doing you know chemical rockets and and uh, you know. Uh, Still no Star Trek, you know, type vehicles, no shields, no, no, no warp right. drive, no dilithium crystals, none of that stuff. No beaming me up, Scotty. No beaming yeah, me up, right. you know, I mean, you know, <laughs> climbing down a ladder, you know, to, to land on a planet. That's not a cool look, you know. No, no. So th th there's a lot we're going to learn, I'm hoping. And it just, it seems like possibly this is just the government's way of slowly letting this stuff leak out. You know, well, what would be the well? And, 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 and again, I'm asking you to speculate. What would be the re, what would be the rationale for the government allowing this stuff to to, to prepare us it, for, it, for? It seems like they, they've been testing the idea, um, you know. And, and of course, we're a free speech, you know, um, society. So the UFO reports have been out there in the past, but it's just that there, there's been no cooperation. Let's say between like what MUFON does. And the government, they're, they're not yeah, I mean, like helping us out. You would think somebody like like SETI, you know, I mean, that's their whole purpose. And in, 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 in that's their mission is to find uh, life on another planet. You would think that a group like, you know, the people that, that are behind the scenes. Oh, they're going to be very embarrassed when all this comes <laughs> out. I, I was on a AOL talk show with Seth. Um, oh, I'm blanking on his last name. He, he's the head guy at SETI. And we were in the green room together, and he was very, very nice. Um, and, and still, I'd say he's overall a very nice guy. But it was very cutthroat, man, when that uh, talk show started. You know? And I, I just had to laugh and say, Seth, you go right on, you know, because you look at their budget. And and they're getting you know a few million dollars oh, a yeah. year. Oh I yeah, mean, you know listening all the radio, using the radio telescopes. They're listening for 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 the the wow moment. And uh, you guys are documenting you know <laughs> ships coming right. in on a they're daily right basis. They're right here, Seth. Right, and we're we're, we're struggling with you know two to three hundred thousand a year, and hoping we could get more. So we're we're doing new things like this book project. And let me um, let me let me just uh, uh, promo the book again. We're talking to. To Roger Marsh, the author of UFO Cases of Interest, and it's available right now on Amazon.com. Go to Amazon.com, pick it up. Uh, it's a fascinating read. Uh, it's something that you, you know, if you're even remotely curious, you need to check out and read about. And uh, and go to the website, too. Go to MUFON.com, uh, M-U-F-O-N.com. It, uh, it's fascinating. It really is fascinating. I mean, you can kind of click on different links and, uh, and and uh, you guys just had your big symposium uh, recently this past week, I believe it was, wasn't it? Yes. Yep. 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 Um, so was... definitely check them out. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. We just we were really hoping uh, on the website I do U UFO news, or as I call, Monday through Friday, which I call the UFO traffic report. Um, but I also do um, UFO video news, UFO photo news. 
Um, one of my favorites, the Witness Illustrated UFO. Um, if there's a really good uh, Witness illustration, I profile that and do a separate story. We put UFO stats up there. And right now I'm actually doing a separate series just on the book, things that I, I discovered um, while compiling this book. Um, and I'll also give credit to um, uh, uh, Phil Leach, Jr. from... Uh, he's actually our director of special projects out of Indiana. He was the main person choosing the cases for me. Uh, Lisa Wright was our art director in Chicago. And um, our, one of our board members, um, Rob Switek, um in Virginia, uh, he was like my second read. I called him the edit two person. Uh, so anytime I wrote it, edited it, then it would go to Rob and come back to me. So it was a great team to have this year. Uh, well, place for the book and right, we're working on the 2019 edition right now right now no I, that, that's, that's what i want people to know too that that this, this is just 2018 i mean that, that every year because of the of the, the level of this phenomenon uh there are going to be cases that just kind of you know curl your toes yeah um, oh yeah yeah and, and also don't forget to check out the uh, history channels uh hangar one ufo files which i again i get a kick out of uh, Roger, listen, I, I want to thank you again for uh, uh, being my guest for the Powell to the People podcast. Um, I will certainly be uh, paying attention and and uh, I'll spend a lot more time on MUFON.com. And I'm going to get your book, UFO Cases of Interest, uh, the 2018 edition. Uh, once again, thank you, Roger Marsh. Thanks, Tony. Thanks for having me. It was great. 